Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Dan. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Dan. I'm a recovering anorexic. Gosh, I mean, I'm just sitting here. Happy birthday, Carol. I'm so moved. Um, I mean, it's like... I knew Carol before I got abstinent, and and I think it's also that this is the first meeting I've been to in person in a year and a half. And it's just really, really good to see you guys. And I want to echo what Carol said when she took her candle for 30 years. Um, I mean, you're my people. You people are my people. Um, so I'm not going to cry for a half an hour. So, um, it's really good to be here, and thank you for asking me, Lucy. Lucy's not here. Um, so I, uh, I'm a recovering editor. Lucy? Oh, that Lucy! I thought it was a different Lucy. Hi, Lucy. I had a different... Thank you for asking me, Lucy. So sorry. Um... Uh, yeah, so I came to OA in 1995. I actually came to uh, OA in 1990, and I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready at all. I was 20 years old, and I was um, I was about 35 pounds less than I am now. But that that was kind of my running weight, and uh, I didn't consider myself an anorexic. Um, and then I came back in 1995, and in that time, I did some work that I believe enabled me to get ready to face um, my eating disorder. And by that time, I had gotten much worse. And because I had been to OA um, years before, I thought I was a member. I just thought, well, if you go, then you're a member. And, and there's actually some truth to that, but I wasn't really a member. And then um, I... Uh, you know, I came from a really, really abusive family, a very, very dark but seemingly light family. Uh, it was very hidden. The alcoholism in my family and the abuse in my family was very hidden. And um, I really, really believe what I've heard people in OA say, and I've heard people who are alcoholics. I'm not a member of A, but I've heard al- alcoholics say that their disease, their alcoholism, my anorexia um, wasn't my problem. It was my solution. And I really believe that. I really believe that my anorexia saved my life. Uh, from what I grew up with, and it did until it started to kill me. And when I was 25, you know, I got back into OA. I, I, by that time, the food obsession was so loud that, I mean, it was like audible outside of my head. The food obsession, the rumination of what I'd eaten, the guilt, it was so profound. And every day I woke up and I thought, today is going to be the day I'm not going to think about food all day. 
And every single day it got worse. Every single day it got worse. And I mean it. I really think there might have been times when the food obsession might have, like, blurted out of my mouth a little bit. Like, it was just, like, it was demonic food obsession. And um, what I have since learned, I thought that's what made, I thought that made me a compulsive reader. So I came back to OA. I remember saying a prayer. I could become very spiritual in those five years. And I remember saying, uh, spiritual, and I remember saying a prayer, higher power or whatever I was calling it at that time, please don't make me ever go back to OA with those horrible, horrible people. <laughs> and, um, and like literally within a week, I was at Serenity Sunday. And, um, and, uh, and, um, and I was obsessed with food, so I started identifying as a compulsive overeater. And that's what I thought you were supposed to do. If you're obsessed with food, that means you're an overeater. So I started eating less food. And I became more obsessed. And then I started eating less food. And I had a sponsor, and I was working the steps, and blah, 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 long, long, going forward. And then nine months into that is when I really hit bottom. And I really believe, they always used to say that we get what we get right when we need it. And I really don't believe I got abstinent a day, an hour, a minute before I was ready. And I remember I, uh, by the time those nine months, you know, taking chips and candles, take, taking chips for abstinence, losing more and more weight, more and more weight. And, um, you know, I hit my bottom. And my bo- what my bottom looked like was less than 100, about, actually about 125 pounds. I'm 6'5". My hair was falling out. Um, one of the stories I tell is I remember walking up um, a flight of stairs and to my apartment and uh, it was winded at the top of the stairs and I was 25 and I was <laughs> like this <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself God you're sluggish because you ate too much four hours before if only you would have eaten less you'd be okay and I was at work and I was about to lose my job and I had a friend a friend of Carol's who said to me she came up to me I was a waiter she came up to me in the bus station and she said I think you're about to die very matter-of-factly. And I said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? She said, I think you have anorexia and I think you're about to die. And I got defensive and angry and I said, but you don't understand. I binge. Because when I ate, I truly felt like I had binged. I truly had the physical sensations of being stuffed after eating four carrot sticks. And that's the distortion of anorexia. I truly believed I was overeating. And I truly believed that eating less food was the right thing to do. It felt right. That inner purity of being empty felt like spirituality to me. The inner purity of never having sex felt like spirituality to me. The inner purity of never shopping for nice things felt like spirituality to me. And I have... There's a lot in our society that tells us that going without is pure and spiritual. And I took it and I ran with it. And I, anyway, in the bus station, you know, Lonnie, whoever Lonnie is now, I love her. She said, you know, I'm afraid you're going to die soon. And, and then I explained to her, I said, you know, um, when I eat, I feel so guilty. And I feel like I'm not spiritual when I eat. And she said something to me. She said, you know, Dan, actually, food grounds you and puts you in your body. And she said that. I was working with a sponsor for nine months. I had been to LA. I was going to seven meetings a week. Somehow, someway, I just heard it. I suddenly realized, and I, it's not like a head thing, but it was a real life moment of change for me that much led up to that. And um, 
I suddenly realized, or I had the question in my mind that maybe the problem is the guilt and not the food. Maybe my problem is the guilt and not the food. And I just heard the word anorexia and I was able to just take it in and I started eating and I got abstinent that night and I gained 50 pounds, 45 pounds in two months. And I was like shot back to life, just like boom, feelings, life, sexuality, desires, my body was back. And that's why I say I got abstinent the minute I was ready. And they always used to say, if you want to find out why you're eating or not eating or barfing or whatever you're doing, stop doing it. You're going to find out why. And that's exactly what happened. Suddenly, everything was fine before that. I just had this weird food problem. Suddenly, it was like, oh, no, everything's not fine. I remember outreach calls, crying so hard that I couldn't speak. And the other person on the other end asking me why I was crying. And then I'd be saying, I don't know. And then I started to learn why. You know, I started to learn about my, the pain in my life. And I started to learn about the impossible situation that I was raised in. That I had to pick up anorexia to survive. And, um, and then it was just all, and it's always been, it still is, doing that next indicated thing. You know, the first year or two, it was about the food. How do I eat? What works for me? How do I eat three? My abstinence is three balanced meals a day. A smoothie is not a breakfast for me. I eat three balanced meals a day. I am 26 and a half years abstinent. I weigh 65 pounds more than my lowest weight. I've weighed that for 26 and a half years. And I eat three balanced meals a day. I eat snacks if I need them. And over time, I've been able to let go more and more of anorexia. Today, last night, I went to a restaurant with my husband. It's such a freedom to order food based on what I want not based on what has the least amount of carbs or what has the least amount of this or that. And I don't do the hair when Harry met Sally thing anymore where I say, hold this and hold that. And basically make me my own food in your restaurant. I don't do that. I, I order good food and I eat it. And you know what though? It's, I don't talk a lot about the food because it, it's not about the food for me. It's a, anorexia is a life disorder. It really is a life disorder. It's not a food disorder. And I shut all of myself down to survive the abuse that I grew up as a child and grew up in as a child. And I always say this, I don't blame my parents for my disorder. At the same time, I allow them to be accountable for what they did to their kids. I don't walk around with anger toward them, but I also, that's what I love about this program. It's like, it shows me a way to live that isn't about denial. I came in here, forgive the world. I forgive all. Love, I didn't have anger. I didn't have pain in my life. I w- my, my mother wasn't a homophobic bigot. My father wasn't a passive-aggressive abuser. Like, everything was perfect. And that, like, spiritual, like, zing of perfection is what I have to let go of to get better and to be fully myself. And that's what I saw at Serenity Sunday in the beginning is people were not full of shit at that meeting. They're not full. People are not full of shit. Oh, I said the essay toward <laughs> Excuse me. People are not full of it in a way. And I saw people that owned who they were and didn't apologize for what they'd been through. And, and they didn't apologize for their existence. And that is what kept me coming back. And that's what I wanted. And I can honestly say that's what I have today. I feel, I always say this whenever I lead a meeting that isn't an AB-focused meeting, I want to talk a little bit about, and I always say this, I'm sure I've said it here at this meeting, about what I learned, the connection between anorexia and overeating and bulimia, which is 
I had a friend, I had told the same story, I know I'm a broken record, like, I had a friend, Margot, she talked about how she came to LA, she lost all her weight in three weeks, or six weeks, or two months, or however long it was, and suddenly she was visible, and men were whistling at her, and women were commenting and saying how great she looked, and she put all her weight back on, and more. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, Dan, I didn't have the spiritual muscle to handle that level of exposure. Exposure. I didn't have the spiritual muscle muscle to be that exposed. And when she told me that story, I realized that while Margot, in her overeating and food obsession, that was her disappearing act from the world. And that she disappeared through kind of a false bigness. And I'm sure there's a bulimic equivalent. And I realized my anorexia, I disappear in smallness. I disappear in false meekness. I disappear in like this false spiritual, I have no needs thing. That's a disappearing act. That's not who I really am. I always say to sponsees, whenever I pushed food off my plate or skipped a meal or you know didn't let myself buy something that I really loved that I could afford, I was apologizing for my existence and denying my existence. And I don't do that today. And I had a sponsor once say, you know, anorexia is a very dishonest disease. And that didn't make sense to me because as an anorexic, I was hyper honest. I'm the guy that says, oh, you didn't put the tea on my bill. I almost got a waiter fired once because I was so committed to making sure he got my bill right. Because I didn't want to walk out without paying for anything. No siri Bob, not me. I'm pure. I'm spiritual. And so that when my sponsor said that, it didn't make sense because anorexics, me, is I'm hyper honest. I want to be hyper honest in every pure, perfect human moment. And that's not what she meant. She meant that, for me, the disease of anorexia is the denial of my real self. When I'm denying my appetites and my desires, I am denying who I am, and I'm apologizing for my existence. And I'm sure there's an overeating equivalent to that, and I'm sure there's a bulimic equivalent to that. But for me today, as a recovering anorexic, I own my appetites, I own my weight, I own my desire, and that gets me closer to my higher power and it gets me closer to my fellows and I'm so grateful to OA that OA gave me a community and a framework to find a higher power a real higher power Um, for many years I mean the second step has been really important to me as a recovery anorexic because I've had to redefine my higher power multiple times that those five years where I, I grew up in a religious cult and those that's part of the abuse that my anorexia was there to sort of get me through. But um, those first five years before I came back to OA, that was that's really looking back, that's what I was doing. I was redefining a higher power so that I could be ready to be in OA and have a real higher power. And over my the course of my abstinence, it's been about redefining what is my real higher power so that it's not the higher power of self-denial, the, the higher power of um, what I call the higher power of anorexia. And today I have a higher power that not only wants me to own who I am and own my appetites and my desires, but lovingly demands it. When I, today, when I do that thing and I want to like not take up space and not exist, it, it leads to trouble. <laughs> like It looks like it's going to be a good thing, but it leads to trouble. And, you know, I've learned things, you know, in business, and I have to advocate for myself, and I have to take care of myself, and I have to stand up for myself, 
And when I don't do that, it leads to trouble. And um, so, I mean, like Carol said, I have the light beyond my wildest dreams today because of OA. I really, really, really do. And that, the heart of the third step for me is that um, I heard somebody say years ago at a meeting that we base our dreams, we we plan our dreams based on our low self-worth. And the things that I would give myself in my anorexia and my disease are horrible. It's a horrible life. And I really believe that my higher power only says, yes or no, I have something better. No, that's not good enough for you. You know, the guy that, that I had a guy once before recovery pencil me in for a Saturday night date. He said, I'll pencil you in. And I said, okay, great. Pencil me in. Are you going to let me know sometime? When, how's, it, how's this going to work? Like, should I wait by the phone? Like, what? I was fine with it. You know, I was the guy that I used to have so much shame about my existence that I would call people on the phone and the sound of my voice in my own ear would elicit so much shame that I would start to stutter and I would have to hang up the phone. Like that to me is, that's an anorexic story. I was at a, at a grocery store in my first year of abstinence and I ran into a fellow and we were standing in pavilions on Olympic and Beverly and we were in the produce section. I'm sure I was shopping for eggplants or tomatoes or something. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and she said, hi, how are you? And I started to speak with her and I could feel her seeing my body, my big six foot five body. And I literally turned around and ran out of the store. I couldn't speak to her because taking up space was so difficult. And that came from somewhere. I always say I didn't get to be 25 years old with my hair falling out and not being able to walk upstairs because everything was fine. And it's been in the interest of my life and my recovery to face where it came from. And I know that in our literature, it says we believe that the reasons for the illness are unimportant. The big book also says that we search out the causes and conditions of our disease. So I just like whatever works for anybody is great. For me, it's been very good and very important. And I don't believe that I would have the recovery I have today or the life I have today if I hadn't, if I hadn't done and continued to do the work that is about looking at the reality of my life and my past and healing from what I call the transgenerational pattern of abuse. I know my parents abused their kids because they were abused. I know it, and I have compassion. And I also don't have to carry the responsibility of what they did to me anymore. I don't have to do that. And that right there, in many ways, is the core of my recovery. That and having a higher power that wants me to take up space whether I want to or not <laughs> demands it. And um, I was talking about the third step, yeah. Um, I didn't have the self-work to plan the life that I have today. I really didn't. And what I was thinking about and what made me so emotional when I was listening to Carol was um, abstinence is the most important thing. It's just the most important thing. It, it just, everything I have in my life is because my higher power saw fit to get me to Overeaters Anonymous. I mean that. And that's not just some like whoop-de-doo to get you to keep coming back. Like, I remember when I was 25, I felt ripped off. I felt like here I am, 25, 26, and going to seven meetings a week. I felt like life had like dumped me off somewhere. 
and I look back now and I feel like the luckiest man in the world. And we are so lucky to be here. I just, I am so lucky. I know that if I didn't have recovery, everything I have would either, I wouldn't take it in or I would sabotage it so I wouldn't have it anymore. Because that's what, anorexia is about nothingness. It's about, for me, anorexia is about denying myself through having nothing. And today, instead of, I mean, I, I still eat three meals a day. I still abstain from the food disorder of anorexia. But for me, it's, it's a life disorder. And it's about letting in life. It's about being full with life. And so I always say, instead of learning to eat food, I'm learning to eat life today. And, and I still have to feel full with life. And, and I still need a higher power to help me feel full. And my life is still getting bigger. I'm, I, I, as an anorexic, I still want to be like, okay, great, that's enough. I'm good. No more. Thank you. I'm good. And no, my, the path for me is still about taking more in. How can, I, how can I open myself up more? And when I do allow myself to eat, in all ways, I'm naturally of service. I naturally love other people. I'm naturally not afraid of other people. And I always say, and this, I really say this for the anorexics, every problem I have comes back to anorexia for me. Whenever I get into any type of... Um, oh my gosh, really? Wow. Whenever I get into any type of um, like kerfuffle with anybody... It always comes back to how am I wanting to be small again? How am I wanting to disappear? How am I wanting to annihilate my appetites? And um, it always comes back to that for me. So um, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I didn't really tell my story. I just sort of like went all over the place. But um, yeah, the, you know, the first few years it was about the food. And they used to say, you know, it's about the food until it doesn't have to be about the food anymore. And then, um, then I started to face, you know, relationship issues and like why I was such a people pleaser and why I had to like, someone once said in a meeting that they were a reflection of the people around them and I had to start to face that. And, um, you know, dating, I had to face dating. I was the guy that wanted to, you know, get married and I was really called to partnership, but I just wanted to like meet somebody in a bookstore and then boom, we're done. Let's go to marriage. <laughs> And I responded, was like, yeah, that isn't how it works. You got to go. You have to go on dates. And I, I was, I was above that. Not above that, like above that, above that. But I didn't want to get down dirty with the humans. You know, like that's my anorexia. I don't want to get dirty. I don't want to like have slow self worth come up and like have someone not call me back and then have me not want to call them back. I don't like dirty. And I had a sponsor who was like, yeah, you're going to have to get dirty here. And I surrendered to that. And, you know, I have a great life in that way. And I put myself through school in recovery. Um, you know, I, I really, every year of my life, I've had to sort of face in this recovery. And that, to me, that's, that's where the good life comes from, is, like, doing what I did in the beginning with food and all areas of my life. So, um so yeah, I mean, I'm never ever at a loss for words, and I can't believe it. But I, I feel like I'm I'm trying to think about what else I can say. I mean, I I uh, I'm I'm just so grateful, and you know, they say don't leave before the miracle, and just don't leave before the miracle, you know. And for me, the biggest gift of recovery from anorexia nervosa is that I get myself back. I get who I am. I had to deny, I had to hide myself from other people, but more than that, I had to hide myself from myself. And um, and I don't do that today. And um, so I'm just so grateful to be here. And I guess I'm going to 
end early and, and uh, leave the meeting open for sharing. So I can't believe that happened. I never do that. I'm always like, trying to get it all. I'm trying to get it all in. So, um, but uh, yeah, it's a great life. And, and I, oh, I want to say one more thing about food. I do have pretty much complete freedom from food today, pretty much. I mean, I, if it comes up, if I feel fat or guilty, I, I have people to call. I have steps to work and meetings to go to and sponsors to call. And I have things to do, but... As long as I'm up on my next, what I call my next indicated recovery thing, the food stuff is pretty much not an issue for the most part. I would say 99% of the time. And that that alone, that freedom, is unbelievable. But, um, yeah, you know, getting I, I, early on in recovery, I used to hear people say, like, there was this air in Serenity Sunday 25 years ago or whatever. Like, it was it was so... It's not about the food. It's not about the food. What's going on in your life? What's going on in your life? It was so about like going underneath it and getting to the real problem. And I'm glad for that. You know, I called a woman once and she told me stories about her life that were really shocking and really dark. And she was an overeater. And many, most people that saved my life in the beginning were overeaters. I I just have to say that. And she, I don't want to say her name, but she said some very dark things about and, and it was not my story in terms of content. But when she said that, I guess I can say, I won't say her name. She said that she, she, she talked about her weight. She said that she had maimed her body, maimed her body with obesity because her father raped her, then wrote her out of his will for dating a man of color. And that was her life story. And she said, because of that rage, I had to maim my body. I couldn't face my rage, and I couldn't face the darkness of my past. I had to maim my body to get through it. Not my story at all. But that phone call was like, that isn't my story, but there's something there for me. Like, the wisdom in... She wasn't telling me about the fat grams she abstained from. She wasn't telling me about the calories that she ate. She was talking about healing her inner spiritual and emotional life, and that led her to an an abstinent, healthy relationship with food. And that's exactly what's happened to me, you know? Exactly the same thing. Totally different content. Different disorder. Not different. It's the same disorder, but a different manifestation of this disorder. Um, Different life story, but similar, similar, similar in, in path. And um, I hope that inspires other people to do the same. Maybe your life isn't like that. Maybe your life isn't a story like that. But for me, mine was. Mine really, really was. And the pain that I had to like have had to heal from with, around my family has been intense. And I always say before I got abstinent, I wasn't ready to face the truth of anorexia. And what that really meant was I wasn't ready to face the pain underneath my anorexia. I wasn't ready. And it was people in a way that walked me through it and helped me get ready and helped me do it. And um, so OA saved my life. You guys really saved my life. But more than saving my life, you know, you gave me the, the life beyond my wildest dreams. And I really mean that. I really mean that. It's better than I could ever have dreamed. And it keeps getting better. I didn't know what real love was. I didn't know. I have a, I have a real family today with real love. I always say that love is the intertwining of love and danger. And I, I learned unavailable, toxic, dangerous love in my abusive family. And so I recreated that in friendships, in dating. And I learned real love in a way. People used to say, I remember once I called somebody and I, I said, are you sure you can talk to me? 
because in my mind, what people do is they say, yeah, I can talk to you, and they talk to you, and then they hate you for calling. <laughs> and I said, are you sure you can talk to me? She said, Dan, if I can't talk to you, I will tell you that I can't talk to you. And that was like this little crack in the door. I was at a meeting once, and there was this, I was after a meeting, and I think it was the kitchen sink, and when it was on Robertson, and there was that uncomfortable moment after the meeting of, are we going to hug, or are we not going to hug? Thank you. And, um, and then I'm kind of standing there going, oh, are we going to hug? What's, what are we going to do? And this woman said, can I hug you? And I know these are like little examples, but like these are like this little crack in the door of being shown what available, real, open love is. And that's the fellowship of OA. I mean, the greatest people I've ever met are in OA. And my best friends are in OA. And um, so anyway, I, I am going to stop. But thank you so much for having me. And thank you for my abstinence and for my incredible life. And and um, I get to celebrate my abs- I get to celebrate my appetites. I get to I get to enjoy a real human life today because of abstinence and overeaters anonymous. So thanks for letting me share. Oh, questions. Okay, awesome. Oh yes, I will. Does anyone have any questions? Sure. Go ahead. Please go first. Do you see your name and I can say what it is for the questions? Okay. Thank you so much. Can I just ask you, the first time you actually ordered at a restaurant without doing your your own food, mm-hmm. how did that feel? And did you kind of have anxiety before going in? Did you already research the restaurant and the menu mm. before you went in? Um, I'll repeat the question. When was the first time you just went in and ordered for, at a restaurant? Did you research the menu? When did yeah. you just walk in and say, bring me this and eat it? Well, uh, uh, so my story is after that that moment of, oh my God, it's the guilt around food. It's not the food and it's anorexia and the reason why I'm obsessed with food. I, I learned, I forgot to say this, I learned that I was obsessed with food because I was controlling food. Not because I wanted to eat it. <laughs> I wanted to control it. So um, I had that moment, and after that moment, that miracle of recovery, when I just gained 50 pounds in two months or whatever it was, that was me like, I'm about to die. I just suddenly saw it. I'm going to die. Um, I remember looking in the mirror and being before this time, and I was so deluded in our, in our anorexia, being like, but I eat so much. Why are there dark circles under my eyes? Like, I, I'm a binger. Why, am I, why is my hair falling out? Like... So I was really distorted, but when that distortion lifted, I just started eating. And I was like eating to save my life. Once I gained all my weight back, then it became a little bit more of a negotiation. And what I did, and this was suggested to me by someone in recovery, was when it started to get hard again after that initial like, okay, I'm back in my body, I weigh 180 pounds or whatever it was. Um, She said that it's been suggested for her to pick... I don't know, and I do this with sponsees. Pick three or four meals per meal that are abstinent and safe that you can eat anywhere. And for me, I did that. When the going got hard, I still did that. So for a long time after that, I did do like hold the cheese. As long as I was eating protein, vegetables, and carbs, and it was a full plate of food, I was abstinent. And I could cut out the cheese if I needed to. So there were some some negotiating years there. 
But it was a slow process, is what I'm saying. After, after that initial, like, I remember the first full meal I had, it was a tuna melt with fries <laughs> at Factor's Deli on Pico. <laughs> and I was like, and my sponsor was like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And I ate that damn tuna melt. And like, and it saved my life. But again, after that, there was a negotiation. So it was a process. And the last thing I'll say about that question is, and this is really important for anorexics and people that deal with control, is there's a still small voice in me that says, I want the oil-based dressing. I want the fries instead of the, like, instead of the dry boiled baked potato or whatever, you know, like I want the good version. And over time with abstinence and recovery, I can listen to that voice more and take that leap. And that still small voice is my higher power. And it's my truth saying that I get to take up space and I get to, I get to be here. So it's a process, but it's important for me to have a baseline abstinence. So I hope that answers your question. Lucy. Thank you. Um, can you please talk about your spiritual program? Sure. Um, like I said in my share, oh, I'm sorry, Lucy asked, can you please talk about your spiritual program for the recording? Um, my anorexia and spirituality, what I thought was spirituality, was intertwined. So I had a lot of unlearning to do, and I used to meditate obsessively. I had to go a long time without meditating because for me, meditating was about purifying myself. And um, like that pure, get pure, you know, rid myself of my disgusting human appetites and desires. And so I had to just kind of work the program for a long time and just like let getting down and dirty be my spirituality slowly, you know what I mean? Like get down in it, you know, get angry, cry. I remember the first time somebody asked me how I was doing this is early in abstinence, and she said, how are you? And for the first time, I didn't do, I'm great, how are you? Oh my God, I'm so good. Like, ah, ah, I'm spiritual. Like, um, I said, I'm, I'm really SH, I, you know, I said it. And, and it was, that was a recovery for me. I had a sponsor tell me to learn to gossip. I had to learn to gossip. I'm not a gossip today. And that, so much of recovery from anorexia is about the biggest fear as a recovering anorexic is if I let go of control, I will lose control. And what that looks like is if I let myself become human, I will never stop being human. I had a sponsor tell me that I had to learn to flip somebody off on the freeway. <laughs> she said, go, and I was, I don't know how it came out, go flip somebody off. My point is that I don't flip people off today. I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't gossip to, I'm not a big gossip person, you know, but I'm a human person. And so to answer your question, for a long time, my spirituality had to be just letting myself be human. And then slowly over my recovery, I, I have finally learned how to actually really meditate so that it's not anorexia. Um, I medit I try to meditate once a day for around 20 minutes. I'm not great at that, but I, when I do, it really, really helps me. I go to three to four meetings a week. I sponsor people. I have a sponsor. Um, and I work the steps with my sponsees. And, um, but kind of like what I said in my share, it's really important that when I meditate, it's about coming into who I really am and not denying who I really am. And that's what my spirituality is today. It's about celebrating with the program and my recovery, my human desires and my humanness. It's not about evolving above my humanness, because that to me leads me to anorexia. I hope that answers your question, Lucy. Does anybody else have a question? Yeah, Michelle. Um, I'm 
Thanks, Dan. Always great to hear you. Um, so how do you sponsor? How, like, what literature do you like to use, and how often do you talk to them? Um, I'll talk about, yeah. Um, I, I don't do set times. You know, I just, for my life and for my rigidity, it's not good. And for my for my anorexic sponsees, it's not good. I only sponsor anorexics. I'm really adamant about that. Um, or people that are going through anorexia that want help with anorexia. They may have other parts of the disease. But um, so the way, I, the way I sponsor, I use the AA 12 and 12. And I'm adamant about them changing the words. I'm adamant about change the words from alcohol to anorexia. I even often, sometimes if I come into a meeting, I say to myself, I'm powerless over anorexia. Guess what, guys? I'm not powerless over food. I'm powerless over anorexia. Um, and I think we're supported to do that. The big book says take what we like and leave the rest. Make this work for you. Make it work for your life and your, your own abstinence and recovery. And this is something that I could talk about too, and I really want anorexics to hear this, which is, those first nine months when I was working the steps, you know, I wrote a 350-page inventory. I went and did a nine-step amends in my hometown that was like my final apology for everyone I'd ever met for existing. Like, I'm finally going to... And I did that. I did that. I drove to Ojai. I grew up in Ojai. And I found people that I'd gone to sixth grade with and fourth grade with, and I begged for their forgiveness. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, my point is, is that there is an anorexic way of working the steps. And when I work anorexics through the steps, I'm very clear that that's not what we're doing. I thought that spirituality and the steps meant digging down deep and really finding out what's really bad about me and telling the world and apologizing. Like, that's how I saw the steps as an anorexic because if I feel guilty for existing and I feel like my very human existence is bad, I'm going to use spirituality to like root that out and get rid of it. And I'm just, I lived through that. And it was very destructive. And um, we're almost done. And I, um, I don't do that with my sponsees. So what I do do is I say, read the 12 and 12, change the words that really matter, and only write a few paragraphs or two. Like, how about that? How about keep it simple? I was once fired by an anorexic sponsee because I wouldn't make the steps hard enough for him. <laughs> that's anorexia though that's how it works it's upside down like you know some people are like oh I'm fine I don't need a I don't need a meeting I'm fine like I was like sign me up you know <laughs> get me the work I'm ready and so I just I make sure that when I sponsor people that I bring my experience with the steps and I don't I don't um, I don't use the steps as a tool of anorexia because I did do that for quite a while and I don't support my sponsees in doing that. So that's my answer. <laughs> Thank you for having me here.